Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. This is a very special time of year on the Jewish calendar, as we are now full swing into the High Holy Days. I pray that these messages from our High Holy Days and Shabbat Shuvah services are a blessing to you, and our Maim Chaim Mishpucha want to wish you Lashana Tova. Abraham, Father of mercies, we worship you, we adore you, and we thank you for this day. Father, we ask that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will take charge. Father, I pray that you use me as a vessel for you, that nothing of me be involved except that which you've ordained for this morning, and that you will speak through me and into our hearts and lives today. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen. Last night we talked about and dealt with the calls of the shofar, the, the sounds that are made as we blow the shofar, which you will hear uh, later on in the service uh, after the message. Um, and there are three specific calls that are made, the tekiah, the, te the shavarim, and the teruah. Um, and each of those calls has a uh, kind of a traditional approach or opinion to what it stands for, what it means. And there's two different uh, schools of thought of them. Last night we spoke about one of those schools of thought, which was that the takia, which is a, a, long short, a long single blast, is representative or symbolic of the sound of a king's coronation. And there's the connection to Rosh Hashanah, which is um, uh, a period of coronation for kings. And so the, the recognition that our God is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and the sound of the shofar reminds us of that coronation. The second is the shavarim, the three short wailing-like blasts, um, which signify repentance or a call to repentance. And the teruah, short, uh, short staccato blasts, seven to nine staccato blasts of alarm, uh, signifying an alarming or an awakening of the soul. Today we're going to look at the other tradition that goes along with the, uh, the call of the shofar. As I said, there's two kind of two schools of thought. Today we're going to look at the other one. Uh, so if you have your scriptures, just to set foundation for you, uh, Numbers chapter 29, verse 1, we read this during our Torah service. It says, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are to do no laborious work. It is for you a day for the sounding of the shofar. I said last night, and I want to repeat it today, um, I think although the Torah commands that we sound the shofar, I think it's more specific <clears throat> that what God is intending for us to do isn't to have everyone in the world blow a shofar, but rather that we are to hear the shofar, that we are to be alert to its sound, that we're to recognize it, because it's a rehearsal. The shofar blast that we blast every year in Rosh Hashanah is a rehearsal. Uh, Rosh Hashanah itself is a prophetic rehearsal for what will happen when that heavenly shofar blast occurs again, ushering in the return of Melech Mashiach, of our King Messiah. And so as this happens on Rosh Hashanah, there's this understanding that we are to hear the sound of the shofar. So every year we blast it for that purpose. Um, and as I said, with these, these two different schools of thought on the tradition or the meanings behind these blasts, they're very important. Last night we touched, and if you haven't listened to it, the podcast will go up uh, probably tonight or tomorrow. So go and listen to the podcast from last night uh, and then listen again to the podcast from today and you'll kind of see both sides of the discussion and why both sides are very important. If you'll jump to Numbers chapter 10, it's going backwards now, Numbers chapter 10, in case you didn't know that 10 comes before 29. Uh, verse 1, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, make two trumpets of hammered silver for yourselves. 
there for summoning the community and having the camp set out. Whether both are sound, whenever both are sounded, the whole community is to gather together, uh, gather toward you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if only one is sounded, the princes, the heads of the tribes of Israel are to gather toward you. When, the sound, when you sound the trumpet the first time, the camp of those camped on the east is to set out. When you sound the trumpet, blast a second time, the camp of those camped on the south is to set out. Short blast will be the signal for their uh, moving out to gather the whole nation, the whole national community. You are to sound the sustained blast, but not the short blast. The sons of Aaron will blow the trumpets. This is to be an eternal ordinance for you as well as for your generations to come. Whenever you go to war in your own land against the enemy who is hostile toward you, you are to sound short blasts of alarm. Then you will be remembered before Adonai your God and be delivered from your enemies. Also in your days of rejoicing, feasts and new moons, you are to blow on the trumpets over your burnt offering and fellowship offerings. They will then be a reminder for you before Adonai your God, I am Adonai your God. The tradition for the three blasts in terms of what they sound like, the tekiah, the, the one long blast, the shavarim, the three shorter blasts, the, uh, the wailing style blasts, and then the, the teruah, the seven to nine staccato type blasts. The tradition for these sounds comes from this particular passage of scripture. In verse three, it says, whenever both are sounded, the whole community is to gather toward you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now in this passage, specifically speaking of the silver trumpets that were in the tabernacle and temple, and we relate it over to the, to the, to the, to the sound, which would be used on top of mountaintops and high places throughout the nation of Israel to recognize the arising of the new moon and the beginning of new months, new years, and so on and so forth. Um, and so the same calls would be used, the same sounds would be used. Uh, verse 3, whenever both are sounded, the whole community is to gather towards you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is where the tradition of the tekiah blast, that one long blast comes from. And it's a call to gather, to call to come together. Um, in particular, very often would have been used for a call for worship, a gathering of worship uh, or for the word of the Lord to come forth. Verse 5, when you sound the trumpet the first time, the camp of those camped on the east is to set out. And then it goes on to continue talking about when you sound it a second time, uh, when you sound it a third, when you sound it a fourth. This is where we get the sound for the shevarim, the three short blasts from. And the shevarim is a sound for, uh, that, that's used to, to call us to move. All right? And in this case, it's literally for Israel to pack up their tents and to move out to get up and to go because God's taking you somewhere else or somewhere new. And then verse 9, whenever you go to war in your own land against the enemy who is hostile to you, you are to sound short blasts of alarm. Then you will be remembered before Adonai your God and be delivered from your enemies. This is where we get the teruah blast, the short staccato blasts, and it's a call to war. Why are we talking about this? Some of you may be completely wondering why in the world you are in a synagogue on Rosh Hashanah in the first place. Why in the world you sat through all of these prayers in a language you don't understand and probably could care less about knowing, um, and then had to sit through a Torah service that you're unfamiliar with, and so on and so forth. And now we're talking about something that, if you weren't here last night, you may not have even heard before, the blast of the shofar and the various calls, and so on, but you will hear them soon. But you, you may be wondering why in the world we're talking about this. Why is it that believers, especially since the body of Messiah for so long has taught that none of this Jewish stuff matters in the least anymore, why is it that any of this would matter at this point? Why is it that we would be talking about it as believers in Yeshua the Messiah? And the truth of the matter is, is it's extremely important. 
for a number of reasons. But first and foremost is God gave us his prophetic timetable in his calendar. As we said last night, these are not the Jewish feasts. These are God's feasts. These are not Jewish holidays. These are God's holidays that he gave for the purpose of the Jewish people to take to the nations, for the nations to rejoice with us and to recognize what God is doing. When God says, I've given you the stars and the moon and the heavens for the signs and times of the seasons, the calendar, God's calendar with his feasts are based off of the signs and times of the seasons. It's all based off a lunar calendar and so on and so forth. And so we're looking at the stars to see how this is all playing out. We're looking at the moon for the beginning of our months and so on and so forth. This is all highly important. And each of these feasts, as we said last night and we've said before, the spring feasts specifically deal with the first coming of Messiah. When he comes as Mashiach ben Yosef, the son of Joseph, the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53, when he offered his life as our Pesach say, our Passover lamb, uh, so that his blood was poured out, that we would have the opportunity for death to pass over us eternally. The outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit fell on Acts, in Acts chapter 2 on Shavuot, the same day as the, uh, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, Yom HaBechorim, the day of first fruits. Yeshua was the first fruits of the resurrection, and we wait for the day when he returns that all life resurrects again, those who have faith in the blood atonement of Messiah. Then we move to the fall feasts, which specifically deal with the second coming of Messiah. It's a prophetic relevance to his return as Melech Mashiach, as King Messiah, Mashiach bin David, the son of David. And in the second coming, there will be the sound of a heavenly shofar blast alarming us to his return, which is what we're rehearsing for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of judgment when the book of life is closed and sealed, and all those names that are found for good life eternally. And uh, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of the Indwelling and the Ingathering. And it, it has a, a connection to our restoration, to our, our bridegroom. And there's all of these beautiful implications prophetically within God's calendar, within His holy days that we lose sight of in the body of Messiah because we've completely ignored them and separated and dichotomized ourselves from the Jewish roots of the faith. But as we look at things like the sounding of the shofar, it's important to understand that the reason we are commanded to sound the shofar and hear the shofar is so that we are aware when that heavenly shofar blast occurs. And like I said last night, we're not looking around for a tornado coming down the street or a fire truck running by or the, the emergency broadcast on the radio or TV, but we know that it is the soon return of our Messiah. And whether you're aware of it or not, we live in days now where we can see end-time prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes, and we are living in a day and time where it is now more important than ever that we understand the importance of rehearsing the sounding of the shofar so that we know what's coming. And so when you sit back and you wonder why in the world we're doing all of this, this is why. It, it matters. It's important. It's for us as believers to understand what God is doing, when he is doing. Yeshua said, no man knows the hour or time when he will return except the Father. But he also said, I've given you signs and times to be aware of when it might be happening so that you are prepared and you never allow yourself to be like the, the, the uh, wedding party, the, the five uh, 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 of the wedding party that let their lamps run dry. The, the idea is that we're always prepared and always ready. So as we said, verse 3, whenever both, uh, chapter 10 and Numbers, verse 3, whenever both are sounded, the whole community is to gather together toward you at the entrance of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. This is the tekiah call, the call to gathering. And I want you to understand that each of these have great importance for us as believers because 
As believers, these are things we're supposed to be doing, right? In Acts chapter 2, this is dealing with Shavuot, but it's important to understand here. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. This is the very moment in which God, in all honesty, began to call a gathering of believers together. Leading up to this point, when Yeshua was, on, was hung on the stake, an overwhelming majority of, Israel, uh, of the, the people of Israel, the Jews living within Eretz uh, Israel, the land of Israel, an overwhelming majority of them believed and followed him as Messiah. Now, an overwhelming majority of that overwhelming majority were looking for him to be Melech Mashiach, the King Messiah. They were looking for what ultimately had to be the second coming in this, in this individual. Uh, and so as the entire nation was looking for him to be Messiah, they were following him and they were longing for him to end Roman rule over Israel, to bring back an establishment of Israel's self-rule and dominance over themselves, and for the theocracy, the, the realities of the, the, the messianic era and kingdom to be upon us. The problem was they were skipping an important factor. They were skipping the reality that Messiah had to first come as a suffering servant, that we could be in the kingdom when the kingdom comes. And so here we see this is the initial gathering of the believers. At this point, so many had fallen away when Yeshua was put on the stake because they couldn't understand how their Messiah just died before their very eyes. And so a lot of them fell away. But there was a group of very strong and fervent believers in Messiah. They saw his arisen body. They interacted with him. Uh, and they had these, these close uh, reaction or interactions with him or with the, the Talmudim, the disciples who met with him after he resurrected. And the, some of the, a lot of these people saw him ascend into heaven 10 days before Shavuot. And then on Shavuot, the Ruach HaKodesh falls upon the believers. They weren't in some uh, uh, obtruse hidden upper room somewhere down the street in Jerusalem. They were at the temple because that's where Jews go on Shavuot. They were at the temple. The Spirit of God fell at the temple in Acts chapter 2 on Shavuot. And the entire nation of Jews that were from, uh, the, the entire group of Jews that were there on Shavuot, that were from every nation, tribe, and tongue on the face of the earth, saw and heard what occurred right before their eyes. They heard the Talmudim, the disciples, and the other believers speaking in tongues in their own language. Notice not some, you know, clickety-clackety, nobody knows what it's actually saying language. They heard their language from a bunch of dudes from the Galilee. They heard their own language. And here they're going, well, if, if these people are speaking our language and they don't actually speak it, they must be drunk. And there's this whole process of conversation that goes on. But here in Acts chapter 2, this is the beginning of God calling us together. And he's calling us together, not this time on our own part, where we gather together for the sake of honoring a bunch of rules and regulations, but he's calling us together because he's leading us with the leading of his Ruach HaKodesh. Because we couldn't do it right without his spirit in the first place. That's how we ended up in all the mess we were in. That's how the temple was destroyed the first time. That's how the temple was destroyed the second time. That's how Jerusalem was plowed by the Babylonians and the Romans. Because we couldn't fulfill any of it on our own. We had to have God within us. We had to have the presence of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit within us. So here in Acts chapter 2, we see the beginnings of the fulfillment of that Tekiah blast, that gathering together, the calling of the, the believers together. 
In chapter 10, Numbers chapter 10, verse 5, when you sound the trumpet the first time, the camp of those camped on the east is to set out, and it continues on talking about sounding the trumpet for others to, to move out. This is the shavarim, the short, uh, three short blasts. It's a call to move, to get up and to do something. When Israel would hear that blast, they packed up and they hauled it. They moved out. They followed where the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God, the pillar of fire and smoke led them. And they didn't ask questions and they didn't argue and they didn't pick a fight. They got up and they moved because God was saying move. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 16, this is the embodiment of that call to move. Now the 11 disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain Yeshua had designated this verse 16. When they saw him, uh, they worshiped, but some wavered. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Shevarim blast for the body of Messiah. We are now called forth to move, not to sit stagnant comfortably in the, the uh, couch at our house, not to sit stagnantly comfortable in the chairs at our congregations, but to actually take what God is doing in our midst when we come together in holy convocation and take it to the community so that the community sees and fills and recognizes the presence of God in their midst. So that those out there living in the darkness will see the light and will be drawn to the light and will be touched by the light that we carry. This is the call to move. The Great Commission is something that is upon each and every one of us as followers of Messiah. It is not something that is upon our pastors and rabbis and elders and teachers. It's not upon those that are in prison ministry or those that are on worship teams or those that go out and do missionary work. It is upon believers. It is upon the body of Messiah. We are all called to get up and move. The Shavarim blast has occurred. It is now time for us to move, to do something, to react to what God is leading us to do. And it's of the utmost importance at this time and this hour in history that we be willing to listen to that very call. Verse 9, whenever you go to war, this is back in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, whenever you go to war in your own land against the enemy who is hostile to you, you are to sound short blasts of alarm. Then you will be remembered before Adonai your God and be delivered from your enemies. This is a call to war. It's the teruah. It's a call to war. It's a call to battle. It's a call to being willing to get up and to move and to recognize that something is happening among us, that the enemy is attacking, and that we recognize that God is providing victory. Remember, as Israel goes into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, to take the promised land uh, that God had given to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We cross the Jordan River. The first battle we come to is the Battle of Jericho, and guess what actually doesn't happen? A battle. Right? There's this miraculous event and the walls fall down because of a lot of noise. God fought the battle for us and we just had to clean up the mess, but there was a necessity for us to sound the blast of alarm, a sound the blast of war that we can move out in preparation for war, but recognizing that God is fighting for us and moving before us. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see the embodiment of that call to, uh, that call to war. Chapter 6, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of, of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavy, heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil. And after you have done everything to stand firm, then he goes on to talk about what the full armor of God is and how to live and walk in it daily. 
This is important to grasp. The battle is not a physical battle, it is a spiritual battle. Israel going into the, the land of Canaan and the promised land, it wasn't a physical battle, it was a spiritual battle. God had already selected that place from the very foundations of creation itself and selected Jerusalem to be the place where he chose his name to rest upon, where he chose his presence to rest upon. Why? Because as we say in the Lord's Prayer in the Tefillat HaTamadim, the prayer that he taught his disciples, he says, uh, your will be done in heaven so as it is on earth, Right? Your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. It is absolutely important that we align ourselves here on earth with heaven. It is important that we align with God's will in heaven. And so as we look at even the tabernacle here on earth, it was built, as Moses saw on Mount Sinai, it was built to exact specifications as a replica of what he saw in heaven, of the heavenly tabernacle. The tabernacle not built by the hands of man, but by the hands of God himself. Jerusalem itself, the scripture says when Messiah returns, that ultimately a new heaven and new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. We're not going to some out there in space, extraterrestrial, whatever joint hiding out beyond the darkness. It says heaven and earth, the new heaven and new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. It's a reality. It's a promise from the word of God. A lot of us are going to be really upset because we just hope to get away from this place. But that's what the word of God says. So Jerusalem, when Israel was going into the promised land to take uh, Canaan and it become Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, it wasn't by some happenstance or, or, or coincidence that God chose this place. He chose it from the foundations of creation because it is His will on earth as it is in heaven. So it wasn't an earthly or a physical battle, it was a spiritual battle. And just like today, when the world riles up against us or when we have bad days or when things are getting rough around us and times are tough and we see prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes, it is not a physical battle, it is a spiritual battle. And we are being called by that terror blast, we are being called to war. Verse 12 of Ephesians 6, again, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly places. These shofar blasts that we sound on Rosh Hashanah, this is not just some rote practice of Judaism. It may be within certain spectrums of Judea, traditional Judaism itself, but in Messianic Judaism, it is an expectation. It is a recognition of what God has already done and an expectation of what is coming and a rehearsal of what will be so that we are alive, aware, and awake when it occurs. There are way too many people that are going to be sleeping on the job when that final shofar blast occurs. People who have called themselves believers and they're not going to be aware of what's going on. And in all honesty, although we each are responsible for our own faith, our own walks, and our own salvation, I lay a lot of the blame on the leadership of the body of Messiah. Because it was the leadership of the body of Messiah that led people astray from the truth of God's word, the fullness of the truth of God's word. Sure, there's faith and belief in the blood atonement of Messiah, and I'll give them that. The problem is, is that most of the body of Messiah today wants the Jewish Messiah, but nothing to do with the Jewish people or the Jewish stuff that the Jewish Messiah told us to live by. Because again, it wasn't Jewish stuff. It was God's stuff. We write off the feasts, we write off the Moedim, the appointed days, as though they don't matter, but they tell us what's going to come and they give us a, re a way to experience what's happening. Even down to the Shabbat, if we look through Leviticus 23 at the, the uh, telling of the, the Moedim, the appointed days of Adonai, even down to the weekly Shabbat, which is, in my opinion, the most important of the Moedim, even down to the weekly Shabbat is a, a rehearsal for heaven. It's a rehearsal for the prophetic realities of what will be in the Olam Haba, in the world that is to come. There's two commands we know about the Shabbat that we can actually keep today. One is to have a holy convocation. 
with like-minded uh, believers in the, the presence of the Lord, and the other is to rest in the presence of the Lord. There's only two things we know definitively about heaven. It's a lot of allegory, but there's only two things we know definitively about heaven. We will be forever joining with the angels and saints in a holy convocation in the very literal presence of the Lord. And for all eternity, we will be resting in the literal presence of the Lord. What the weekly Shabbat is, is not just some Jewish thing. It is God's thing. And it is a sampling, a tasting, a rehearsal of heaven here on earth. So when we cry out, God, we want to experience heaven on earth, guess what? He gave us a day to do it every single week. 52 weeks a year for our entire life. When we cry out, we want to know what things will look like when, when the, uh, the, the return of Messiah comes. Well, guess what? He gave us a whole season of time. An entire three-week period in which we can experience literally what's going to happen. Well, the majority of the body of Messiah writes it off. These calls are important. They're absolutely important. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of 10 days of repentance, 10 days of introspection, 10 days of awe of the presence of the Lord. And as I said last night, I want to encourage you as we move forward into this season leading up to Yom Kippur, that every day, not just today, but every day leading up to Yom Kippur, that you wholeheartedly open your heart and your soul up to the Lord and ask Him not just to call forth those simple sins that need, we need to repent for, not those little surface level things that we all know we mess up on and we half-heartedly ask for forgiveness for. We need to ask for forgiveness for all of those. But I'm talking those deep down dark things that we don't even want to admit to ourselves. Because God is calling us. Those shofar blasts are occurring. He is calling us to gather in Judaism, there's a concept that every living being has what's called the uh, divine spark, the light of God within them. And that what God wants when he called the, the nation of Israel to be a light into the nations, what God's wanting to do is to draw those divine sparks together so that as those divine sparks come together, they touch, they ignite, and they brighten even more so than what a single spark could do. And I don't think we're so far off with that one. Genesis says that he breathed his rachim, his breath of life within us. Each and every one of us alive today have the breath of life within us. We have a peace of God within us. And when we come together in holy convocation, when Yeshua says where two or three are gathered together, there he will be also, right? It's not because two or three people is all it needs. It's not because that's the baseline, the bare minimum. It's because the more we get together, the more of the breath of God, the more pieces of God all come together, together in unity and worship before him. And the radiant glory begins to expound upon us. The reason why when we come together to worship in our congregations and we can fill the literal presence of God in a tangible way is because it's in our midst, more so because we are together in unity. And that peace of God, that breath of life that is within us is all coming together in unity to worship the creator of all. Our Messiah has poured out his blood for us and he has called us through his word to rehearse the things that will happen. To rehearse the things that are already, already ordained by God to alert us to the soon return of our Messiah. The question is, are we going to take part? Are we going to understand the call to gather, the call to move, and the call to war? When Adam and Eve were first created, God told Adam that he gave him dominion over the things of this earth. Gave him dominion over the things of this world. 
The reality is, is we gave that dominion up when we allowed the enemy to trick us, to lie to us. But because of the presence of the Lord, that dominion is ours again. And so when he calls us to war, we can actually battle. We can actually go to war against the enemy, against the rulers and principalities and things of this earth, this darkness. Because the light of God, the power of God, the presence of God is alive and well within us. It is now more important than ever before that we as the body of Messiah recognize what God is doing during these times and days. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies. God, we thank you, we worship you, and we adore you for being a God who is loving and caring. A God who cherishes us. A God who has created us for the distinct purpose of experiencing your power and your presence. Father, we thank you for being a God who has, even in spite of the fact that we've turned our backs on you over and over again, that you've given us a means of salvation, that you've given us a means of restoration to what you have created us for in the first place. We thank you for being a God who has called us to shine the light of Messiah in this dark world to not only rehearse what will happen in the end of days, but to be alert and aware so that we can awaken others. Father, I pray that as we begin in just a few moments to sound the shofar, that as the earthly shofarot begin to blow, that, Father, there will be a divine interaction with that sound and that the, the, the houses, the businesses, the communities nearby, all of those within them will sense the presence of God in our midst. That, Father, they will recognize the power of God here in this place. That they will know that your light is real. And, Father, that you'll begin to humble their hearts and turn them toward you completely and totally. Father, I pray that the body of Messiah as a whole, that we will return back to you in fullness of heart and humility, willing to serve you, not to sit comfortably in a chair, but to wholeheartedly move as you call. Father, we recognize you have given us the tools necessary to fight this war, that you have given us the power of Yeruach HaKodesh to win. And we know that ultimately, in the end, you will win the greater war. So, Father, we pray that we wholeheartedly give you our all in this time and that we will serve you with a fervency of faith against this darkness and shine the light of Messiah bolder and bolder every day. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.